Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. I believe generosity changes environments. Generosity changes the atmosphere. Imagine if someone walked up to you right now and says, I want to give you $50,000. It would change your day, your outlook, some of the anxieties that you're carrying. And so with that in mind, I want everybody here to look under your chairs. And one person is going to find that there is no money under any chairs. But just even the idea that $50,000 might have been under one of the chairs kind of shifted the anticipation and the expectation in this room. And I believe that this is part of our cultural calling as the church, that the church is the most generous organization on earth. And why is that? Because we serve a generous father. In fact, the scripture says, one of the most famous scriptures in John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, all of humanity, all people, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son that we might have life and life abundantly. And God, he didn't just say, I love you. I have emotions about you. He said, I love, therefore I give. Same with us as a generous people following the example of God. God loved, so he gave. And we learn this principle. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Right? If you have a child or a partner or a friendship, if you're not giving, that person's not going to feel love. If you have no time or energy or effort or compromise, or if you don't hold them in your mind, they're not going to feel the love. Because you cannot love without giving. And so in this Legacy Sunday, we've done this for the last six years. And it's been built on this idea that we find in 1 Timothy, the scripture, chapter 6. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so our giving is a commandment. Our generosity is something that I have the responsibility as a pastor commanding God's people to do. But look, it creates a foundation, a firm foundation. It leaves a legacy for not just us, not just to help what we want, but our giving produces a foundation for the next generation. And our ceiling, the limits of what we've been able to accomplish, becomes the floor for our young people to flourish in the house of the Lord. And so that's why we call this the legacy offering. And I am 
living proof that generosity in the church can change lives. You know, my family comes from Sri Lanka. It's this tropical island country south of India. And they lived through a civil war and immigrated to America as refugees. So they lived in this warm island and moved to Minnesota in the winter. They couldn't find a Hindu temple to worship at. They didn't speak the language very well. They didn't have friends or family. Totally isolated, dealing with the trauma of war. And they decided, this is before I was born, that they would end their lives together. My mom, my dad, my sister, by jumping off of a bridge. As they're approaching the bridge, a pastor saw them, said, you don't have to do that. In fact, why don't you live with me and my family, our three sons in our small trailer home? My family went from wanting to end their lives to experiencing the love of Jesus through Christian generosity and hospitality. And they decided to move forward. They got pregnant with me. And they had optimism for the future. But the story doesn't end there. This pastor, he decided to collaborate with other pastors and said, we need to give this family of foreigners a place to live that's their own space. So they combined efforts with several Lutheran churches in Minnesota, and they got us a building that was actually on the Prince of Peace, Brooklyn Park, Minnesota church property. So my first memories as a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old was literally living on a church property. That was my upbringing. And so I was that little kid in this white Lutheran church in Minnesota that was running through the pews during practices and in the mornings looking for a cereal. I was kind of this like mythical creature that haunted the church. People would say, clap twice and the brown boy will show. <laughs> clap twice and the brown boy will show. It was that... It was all I knew in my life. And uh, not only did I have the opportunity to live in this church building, uh, the people, ordinary, normal people who weren't millionaires or billionaires, decided to sacrifice and make an effort to make us feel at home. And I remember there was this one family, the Johnsons, Gail and Harold. They decided to invite our family over for Thanksgiving and Christmas every year. They had maybe 15 grandchildren and would throw these big parties. And I, I remember as a young boy feeling like I had a place for the holidays, a community that embraced me. And they weren't super rich, but they sacrificed to be generous to families like mine. At Christmas time, I would get a little nervous. Am I going to get gifts like all the other kids? They have 15 grandchildren. But I'm just so grateful because every Christmas when I was nervous as a little boy, would I get a gift? they would buy me and my sister the best gift out of all the grandchildren. I mean, I was this brown boy. They're like a Norwegian culture. I didn't understand all the food. I mean, they were eating lutefisk, which is like fermented cod fish. Anybody ever had lutefisk? My god, the devil is a liar. And it's horrible. I mean, no offense to your culture, but I don't enjoy it. And then they would have like lefsa, which is like this buttered bread. And I, it was nothing like chicken curry. Like, I was like, this is kind of non, but it's really not. <laughs> and so anyways, I didn't belong. I didn't fit in. But because of their love in Christ, they made me feel like I belonged. And they give me the best Christmas gifts. We're talking, they'd buy me like a starter jacket, Chicago Bulls starter jacket. That's like instant popularity in the 90s. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They bought me like a Nintendo Game Boy. I could play Tetris. It was amazing. Glory to God. But this generosity from normal people shaped my life. 
Honestly, it marked me. It's one of the main reasons I want to be a pastor today, because I freely received, and now I want to freely give. I want to help families that look like me. I want to help people that don't feel like they belong fit in. I want to bring in the lonely and set them in families in the house of the Lord. And I believe deep down in our heart, we want to be these kind of generous people like the church that supported my family. We want to be generous, but we have a hard time believing that we can because we're so worried about our mortgage or how we're going to buy presents this year or how we're going to take care of the bills. And there's this thought I feel that we say to ourselves, if I were rich, then I would be generous. Like if I had money like Bill Gates, of course I would be generous. If I had money like Oprah, of course I'd be generous. If I were rich, I would give back to my community. I would help the ostracized and the marginalized. I would help support communities. I mean, I believe I sense that in our community. I mean, if we're being honest, how many of you were saying, would say, if I were rich, then I would be generous. I would support society. I would give back. I would help the local church. Just raise your hands. How many of you feel that way? If I were rich, I would give. Well, you're in luck. Let me read some statistics to you about who are the rich people on Earth. You might be pleasantly surprised or disappointed. Because I, I think when we read 1 Timothy in chapter 6, the scripture says, command those who are rich. And we're like, thank goodness, I'm not rich. Well, not so fast. I was at a website conveniently called How Rich Am I? And it's just somewhere I like to check every week. And uh, on this website, uh, I discovered that if you make $18,000 a year, you are like in the top 10, 11% of richest people on earth. So if you make $18,000 a year, most of the world would say you are one of the top richest people in the world. Isn't that crazy? So if there were 10 people in a room, you would be the number one richest person out of those 10 people. Isn't that wild to think about? So we live in King County for the most part, this Bellevue area. We are seen by the rest of the world as the richest people on earth. Another reality check, if you make, let's see this next slide, if you make $60,000 a year, you are in the richest 1% category. So if you make above $60,000, 99% of the world thinks you are so rich, it's crazy. Isn't that wild? So a lot of us, we, we think, well, I'm not, I'm not that rich. And I, I realize there are very real issues we face, and things are more expensive here. But from an income perspective, most of the world thinks we are the richest people on earth. And so when we say, if I were rich, I would give, well, the good news and the bad news of it is you are rich. And so that means the Bible has different commandments and lessons for all of us who fit this category. And so my goal isn't to guilt anybody here. I mean, like we read in the scripture, the scripture says that God gives us good gifts to enjoy. He has richly provided for us. And I don't think uh, being poor makes you spiritual. I don't think being rich makes you spiritual. And we've learned different gospels, one called the prosperity gospel that says if you are uh, rich, it's only because God has blessed you. And the poverty gospel says that if you're poor, it's because that's how God only wants you to live. I believe that there are rich people and poor people that can have dignity in the house of the Lord and can follow God. God. But there are specific words the scripture says for those who are rich in this world, like we've been reading. And so I want to, as a pastor, be responsible to share the whole word. So point number one is this. The Bible says that the rich should be rich in good deeds. 
not just rich in possessions or materials or experiences. The Bible says that the rich should be rich, but in good deeds. And statistically speaking, the more money you make, the less money you give as a society. I like this quote by Sharon Hade Miller. She's a friend of ours who wrote a book called The Cost of Control, and she writes, studies show that the more money one accumulates, the more likely they are to become attached to it. With few exceptions, study after study has shown a decline in charitable giving relative to income, suggesting that lower income groups are relatively more generous than higher income groups. Another study found that higher status people are less likely to give money when it is earned rather than inherited. Defined according to social, economic, and educational attainment, high status individuals were less generous than low status individuals because they wanted more control over money than they had earned, so they contributed less. All of which means the book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes is right. The more you have, the less you act like it. And so with that in mind, I have a question. Has a higher income made you less or more generous? Because statistically speaking, the more money you have, the less generous you are. Because we have these dreams, Lord, give me this job. I'll serve you with the money. Lord, give me the house. I'll use it to host small groups. But then when you get that money, you get attached to a certain lifestyle. And you start trying to impress people that you don't even like. And you have to keep up with the house. And now you bought the house. And now you're house poor. And now you're not even going to church because you're working to keep that house up. And now you're not hosting like you thought you would. And it's like these ideals don't ever manifest. And sometimes the more income we make, the less generous we have. And so this is something that's really challenging for me. Because remember praying for what you have right now? You're like, Lord, if you just give me this, I'll bless you with that. But now that you have it, you're like, Lord, I can't. It's t- I would be too anxious to let go of that. Or my securities and my finances, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. There's a tension when our generosity doesn't match our blessing in the kingdom of God. You know, Andrew Jennings, who's on staff, he's our worship director here. A number of years ago, we were living in Michigan, and he's getting married. He asked me to throw the bachelor party. I'm so excited to do so. I'm a youth pastor at the time, so I have access to a bus. I grab all the guys. We get on the bus. We're living in Michigan. We have the bachelor party in a city called Hell. Literally, Hell, Michigan. Great place for a bachelor party. It's winter, and it's literally frozen over. Yes, Hell can be frozen over. (laughs) So we go to this bar that's like the only establishment in Hell, go figure. And we aren't drinking at this party. It's a sober party, but they are so generous. They say we can bring our own drinks, our own food, and we can hang out there for hours. So we're playing their pool table. We're playing with their like giant Jenga. We're ordering pitchers of Pepsi. And we're having a great time roughhousing, loud, laughing. It's amazing. It's like it's our own spot. Then we get the bill. Because we'd only ordered like pitchers of Pepsi, the bill is like $15, right? And we're thinking, man, these people have been so generous to us. They've blessed us so much. We want to be generous back. So we're not going to tip like 20% on the, the, the $15 bill because that's $3. We're going to go above and beyond. We're tipping $4. 
We're young guys in our 20s feeling pretty good about ourselves. Above 20% after four hours of them waiting on us hand and foot, letting us take advantage of the full place. Well, we get on the bus, and two guys who are regulars at the bar who had been drinking, watching this whole thing, they come up and they say, how dare you leave a $4 tip after they have blessed you so much? We will fight you. We're like, what? This is not what we want to do. We do not want to fight. And so we decided to lie to them, kind of gaslight them. We get out of the bus, and we go to the table. There's like napkins, and we use the power of illusion to make them think we tipped them. And so we said, oh, hey, what are you talking about, $4 tip? Did you forget about this $100 bill? And they're like, oh. So we're gaslighting them. This is not true. That $100 bill was not there, but we didn't want to get in a fight. We realized the error of our ways, so we used the power of illusion to bring down the tension and bring peace. Pro tip for you. And uh, they buy it. They are so happy. They actually apologize to us. And there is no fight. Glory to God. Hold your applause. (laughs) There is a tension there. Why do they want to fight us? Why do they feel like this was a matter of injustice? Because the blessing that was given to us didn't match the generosity that we responded with. There's a tension when our blessing doesn't match our generosity in the kingdom of God. We freely have received, so as followers of our generous Heavenly Father, we're called to freely give. And that's why Paul is saying, hey, command those who are rich in this present age to be generous and share and do good deeds because there's a tension when the generosity doesn't match our blessing. And so this is really an issue of the heart. I think it's why Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined in the scripture. Some people say, oh, we shouldn't talk about money in the church. But I believe that giving is a discipleship issue. I believe that giving is a spiritual discipline. I believe that you're never more like God than when you're giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. And these aren't just my words. These aren't just opinions. This is what Jesus says. We've been talking about Matthew chapter 6. What does Jesus say in verse 21? For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Your heart follows your possessions, your income, your expenses. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But we have a society that's trying to compel us to serve money. And God says, you can't serve both. So if you're serving money, even 1%, he's saying you're not serving God at all. I mean, this is intense. These are the words of Jesus. You can't serve both. It's not a 50-50 split. It's not a 1% here, 99%. It's all or nothing. Are you serving God or money? And that's why this is a serious issue. Point number two, there's a string that connects your bank to your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. Jesus says your heart is where your treasure is. And so I can't judge your heart, but I can tell you if it's in the right place. Right? Because your heart follows your treasure. Like, if I, if I were to say, hey, I want you to watch this high school football game. You don't like football? You don't like high schoolers? Let's assume. And I say, okay, will you watch this game? You're like, I'm not really interested in the game. I say, okay, if the blue team wins, I'm going to give you $10,000. But if the blue team loses, you have to give me $10,000. 
Let's say you agree to those terms. Are you going to be interested in that game? Yes, you are. Are you going to watch that game? Yes, you are. Are you going to be cheering when the blue team does well? Yes, you are. Why? Because your heart, your passion is following your treasure, your investment. And this is a spiritual principle. Your heart follows your treasure. I mean, this isn't financially related, but just a pro-life tip. If you find yourself not passionate about anything, You've lost the fire, and you're like, why can't I feel like I used to feel? Or how can I, I feel a vigor for life? Try giving 100% of your treasure to something. Like your time, your talent, your treasure, your investment. Try investing in something like crazy, and you'll find that your heart follows it. It's wild. If I, if I give to a game or if I, if I invest in a stock, I'm watching that stock. I'm interested in that stock because I financially invested into it. I mean, this is a matter of passion, a matter of devotion, a matter of choosing to serve God. And so here's a practical tip. If your heart is where your treasure is, create a budget that brings your heart to Jesus. Let me say that again. If your heart is where your treasure is, create a budget that brings your heart to Jesus. You know, do you know where your money is going? Because every expense is a little piece of your heart. So we better be knowing where our money is going. It's true. And I, I just think a lot of us, when it comes to church or giving or generous, we're only spontaneous givers. Oh, I saw someone asking for money, or the church made an appeal. We're, we're spontaneous givers. But check out what Isaiah 32, 8 says in the Old Testament. But generous people, I want to be a generous person, but generous people plan to do what is generous. It's not just uh, spontaneous it's just not emotionalism. It's a discipline. It's a choice. It's a habit. It's a lifestyle. But generous people plan to do what is generous. It's not an accident. It's a plan. And then they don't just honor God with their lips. They put their money where their mouth is, and they stand firm in their generosity. So we had these dreams. Lord, give me this job, and I'll be generous. But then somehow we didn't stand firm in our generosity. Well, the generous people, they make a plan, but then they stand firm in it. And I believe that this is so important for our heart because like we've been talking about, God, God doesn't need $100. He's good. But he wants your heart. He wants 100% of your heart. And I believe that generosity is the antidote we need for greed. I mean, my goodness, we live in King County, one of the richest counties on earth. And greed is an issue. And we have to choose, are we going to serve God or money? I mean, I have people confess to me all the time certain sins. Oh, Pastor Pradeepan, I'm suffering with lust, or I'm tempted with just anger and malice, or I treated someone really poorly, or I'm not being a great husband, I'm not, a great, I'm not honoring my mother and my father. People confess these kind of sins to me all the time. But I think it's interesting that in the richest place on earth, most people have never, I don't think anybody has ever confessed to me, hey, Pastor Pradeepan, can we talk? I'm just struggling with greed. I think God might be not my God, but money is my God. I'm just struggling to make money my security. Oh, I, I was, I, I'm tempted to buy things over and over again. And I'm trying to, you know, nobody's really confessing greed to me. I, I just think that's interesting because we live in such a wealthy area. Most of the world would say we're the richest people on earth, yet none of us think we're tempted by greed. We don't think it's a problem. Jesus talks about this a lot. And so I just as for me in my house, for me in my life, for me in my heart, 
A statement I have is, I'd rather be poor with a good heart than rich with a hard heart. I want to say, Jesus, take it all. I don't want anything to get in the way between my relationship with you. And so practically, this is such a gift for us to be generous. And I I believe it also displays the beauty of Jesus. When we're generous as a church, it it shifts environments. It's such a good testimony to the beauty of Jesus. And point number three is this. I believe that when we give as individuals, we get credit in heaven. But when we give as the church, we get credit on earth. Remember, Jesus said, hey, don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is giving. When you give, don't make a big display out of it so everybody knows how much you give so you can get extra glory and attention. He says, your father who sees in secret knows what you're secretly giving, so don't do it. But when you store your treasure, when you give to the Lord's work, it's like storing treasures in heaven. All of heaven sees that. God sees that. And so when we give as individuals, yes, we get credit in heaven. But here's the crazy thing about this legacy offering. When we give as the church, we get credit on earth. And I believe that the church has a branding problem. A lot of people think that church is stingy, or we're just concerned with our own buildings, and we're neglecting the poor, or we don't take care of real needs and issues in our society. But I I believe that the church is the most generous organization on earth, and we need to show that to the world as a witness and a testimony. I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians 9. It says that God will provide for us, and he enriches our lives. But why does he enrich our lives? You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. So God provides for us. Why? So we can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, and this giving does support the needs of the church and the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so this scripture says that God gives so that we can be generous with it. But then when we're generous, yes, we take care of the needs of the Lord's people, the church. But also out of the overflow of our generosity, people will praise God saying, wow, God is here. God is in in our midst. God is taking care of us. I believe that the world holds the church to a higher standard. Have you ever noticed that? The church is judged. Why is the church buying that, doing that? But we don't judge other religions like we judge the church. We hold the church to a high standard. And to that, I say, praise God. The world wants the church to do what we're called to do. The world thinks we're called to do this and that we can do it. And it's amazing how much judgment the church gets, but they don't hold other religions to that same standard. And I can't help but wonder, maybe it's because they believe that there's something true about the church. There's something glorious about the church. There's a holiness and an otherness of the church where we don't hold these people to a high standard because maybe they're not the real deal, but the church, they should be doing good. And I say to that, praise God. The church should be held to a high standard. Even when I see people, they take the Lord Jesus, his name in vain. But I don't see other people cursing or exclaiming with the the gods of other religions or other religious figures from other religions. Why is that? I think because there's power in the name of Jesus. And our world realizes it. And it doesn't carry the same weight as when we say his name. 
And so the world holds us to this high standard, but I think we need a, a branding thing, you know? I, I was on, on Reddit at this discussion board. Uh, it was a subreddit called Debate Religion, so a lot of people debating religion. And I saw a post that kind of captured my attention. I want to share it with you. It says, hands down, Christianity is the most charitable organization on the planet. I was like, what am I seeing on Reddit? Reddit is not a place where I go to like see godly people express thoughts. <laughs> and so I saw this. I was like, what is this? And it's written by someone who's not even a Christian. They write, there's no other group that even comes close to helping others in need like Christianity does. They raise more money to help people throughout the whole world. They feed more starving people than any other organizations. If there is a disaster, you find many different groups getting together and volunteering to aid in relief. And although these groups can have different names and come from different places, the one thing they will have in common is Christianity. Even as a non-believer, I can respect that. If there are other groups, this is where they lay down the gauntlet. They pick a fight. If there are other groups that do more than that, let's hear about them. I mean, this is a non-believer, non-Christian declaring the glory, the special glory God has given the church to declare it to the world. I think that's important. I read this quote by a pastor named Scott Sauls. He wrote, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022 at $300 billion total. Christians also outgave the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. I mean, America is known as like one of the richest countries that have ever existed on Earth, and the church is outgiving them. That's amazing. Look at this quote written by Philanthropy Roundtable. This is not like a church organization. They write, members of US churches and synagogues send four and a half times as much money overseas to needy people every year as the Gates Foundation does. Much of this religious charity is applied in the hardest places with high efficiency and low overhead by Christians who go the last mile into rural, extremely poor, or dangerous areas where governments and international bureaucracies have no effective reach. It is easy to overlook this giving because it comes not in mega gifts from billionaires, but rather in millions of $50 checks written by faithful donors to groups like Samaritan Purse, World Vision, on and on, and so forth. Over the last couple of decades, soaring interest in the poorest of poor by evangelical Christians in particular has made overseas giving the fastest growing corner of American charity. One result, US voluntary giving to the overseas port now totals $44 billion annually, far more than the $33 billion of official aid distributed by the US government. The church is the most generous organization on earth and is something that is part of all of our identity and our inheritance. Glory to God. Can we give God some praise? Why is this? Because we serve a generous Heavenly Father, and we're just trying to follow in his footsteps. Can I get a good amen? amen. And uh, one of the privileges of being a pastor is I have the opportunity to hear stories of generosity in the midst of our community. And they're beautiful. You know, last year, we raised $200,000 for our legacy offering. And with that money, we were able to hire John Boyd as our youth director. Amen. Uh, we didn't give him all the $200,000. He's like, what? <laughs> we supported lots of different parts of the church and our community. But we were able to hire him. He started a youth ministry last September. And uh, it's just, it's been amazing. But 
I want to tell you this story that moved my heart. This last Easter, uh, we had our first Easter in this building because of the generosity of last year's legacy offering. We could get in this building, and we had nearly 800 people for our Easter service. And there was this lady who came with her family. She's a single mom, and her, her teenage son had been baptized at Kayla's church. She's bringing all the other kids to church. But on Easter Sunday, with all these people running about, John noticed that this single mom came with all of her family in an Uber. Like, she didn't have a car. John asked what's going on. Apparently, her car got totaled in a car accident, and she had to commute to Tacoma and back to here, and she didn't know how she was going to drive around. And so John, he, in the middle of our biggest service of the year, Easter, he left. He didn't actually ask Pastor Amritha and I if he could leave our biggest service of the year, but he left. <laughs> and he came back with car keys, and he gave it to this lady, and he said, hey, um, my wife and I, we have prayed about being stewards of all God has given us. And so we want to give you this van, this minivan for you and your family to use as long as you want. And now this woman can drive her kids around and she can go to work. And it's amazing because John had to sacrifice. Grace had to sacrifice to make that happen. In fact, I want you to see what car they currently drive now. This is what John's driving as it gets to be winter. The window's broken. Uh, the car's as old as you, John. And uh, he made a sacrifice so that he could be generous to this family. I just think, what a beautiful testimony of the beauty of the church. That like Christ, who became poor so that we could become rich, John and Grace were willing to make a sacrifice so this, this mom could be a mom for her kids. And I, I know that there's story after story like this in, in this congregation of sacrificial giving. In fact, even before I preached about this, John told me, uh, actually, someone at Kalo saw my window, and they said, we're going to pay for you to fix that so you're not so cold in the winter. I just think, man, story after story of the beauty of Jesus. That's our identity. That's who we are in Christ. And I want to create more stories. You know, we're, with this legacy offering, we're going to hire Zach Westerman full-time to be our media director, and maybe he'll give away a car. <laughs> See what the Lord does, Zach? We're going to hire Linda to be full-time as our next steps director so we can take care of this church, but we're also giving to local women's shelters and food banks and supporting church plants and missionaries, and I just believe we're going to create a lot more stories. And so... We don't really have a financial dollar amount goal for this year's legacy offering, but we do have a participation goal. We're praying that we'd have 100% participation, that 100% of us would say, Lord, I don't want money to be my God, but I want you to be my God. And we don't want this to feel like manipulation. You can take any of these principles and give to another local church, and we're totally okay with that. But we believe that this is just an act of worship, saying, Lord, you're my Lord. God, I don't just worship you with my lips but my heart, I worship you with my heart. And so I, I bring my treasure to you. And so what I want you to do is take these pieces of white paper on your chairs and would you just grab them and we're gonna have the band minister music behind us quietly. But what I want you to do is just ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me give in this year's legacy offering? And would you just write a prayer and a dollar amount pledge on that piece of paper as the band ministers behind us for the next minute. And let's just take a moment to listen to God and be obedient to God as you would have us give. So Lord, we just open up our hearts and our ears and our eyes to hear what you're saying and doing. 
Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice. How would you have us give? And I pray that we'd have the courage and the strength and the trust to obey. So Lord, we just declare that money is not our God. Money is not our hope. Money is not our security. Money is not our identity, but we place our full trust in you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.